Welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. This is episode 43. Hey, Troy. Hey, Chris. How you doing? I am so excited. I had to get up really early this morning, which means I've got like a lot of energy, but by lunchtime, I'm just going to be asleep. Well, you, the sugar will fix that, you know. Yeah, I know. I, I try not to. I don't, I don't dabble in those types of substances. The sugary <laughs> Illegal stuff. sugar Illegal. substances. Well, it's illegal in New York, I guess, if you have a big goal. So, quick review, man. Service level management, the evolution. That was quite the show. Interesting enough, a lot of people didn't know about the history between V2, V3, and then V3 2011, and what is the role of service level management. So a lot of really good feedback in Google uh, on that, in the Google group. Thoughts on why that was so profound for folks? You know, we forget the past pretty quick, don't we? You know, we always like to think about the here and now. We forget where we've come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, you know, we've some of us have seen the evolution one, two, three, and twenty eleven e, and these subtle changes we just kind of absorb them, we, and then it becomes our norm. But but again, I think contextually, uh, outside of the Lean Show, and I'm I'm kind of I'm just kind of going to let me say the Lean Show is probably my favorite show of the year so far, probably because I learned so much. Plus, you never tell me to study before a show, and that one you made me study, even though it was a seven minute video. Uh, today, I'm so excited because. Uh, Someone I've looked up to uh, uh, almost as much as Ray Garrett. Ray Garrett won't listen, so I probably could say I could look up to him more. Gary Case is with us. Hi, Gary. Good morning. How are you doing today, Chris? Doing wonderful. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, Now, you are right up the road. Aren't aren't we both Colorado folks? We are Colorado folks. That is correct. Pink almost has a separate Colorado office because Ray is also (laughs) in Colorado. Uh, So Rich Petty, too. And and Beverly Parker, yeah. Beverly Parker, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's our mini office. Yeah, one time we had six employees in Colorado, uh, Denver, the Springs. And you got Ben Data was founded here. HDI was founded here. Colorado's almost a pseudo- U.S. home for IT service management. There you go. I'd, I'd actually say it is. I, yeah. From what I'm thinking through this, it's actually the it's kind of like the heart of service management. For, for the U.S. Should we anoint Colorado right now on the show? Yes, the heart of okay. the U.S. service management movement right there. Absolutely. All right. Done. All right. Now, it's like he's got sound effects this week. <laughs> so in the spirit of setting the record straight with service level management, we're moving on to Another, uh, and, and these aren't serious topics. These are just, these are thought provoking topics. We're moving on to the concept of the difference between major incident and root cause analysis around problem management. So are they similar? Are they different? Uh, the concept. Now, for me, with my bodacious uh, version two foundation certificate, they're absolutely the same. There's no different at all. Do you want to dispute me, Gary? Well, I'm just let's kidding. talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's dying to go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. It's uh, so the concept is really you know what we're talking about here is a major incident review, which is a key term versus the problem management root cause analysis. So that's let, let's 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 slow it down real, just real quick. Sure, because some yeah. people some people just they're not they're not Gary Case, and so let's start. Major incident review. What do we mean by that? Well, major incident review is really where after you've had a major incident and you've worked through it, you've restored service, 
then you get together as a team, everyone from management levels to representation from your service desk to the groups that worked to the restore service. And you step back and you ask yourself, okay, what did we do well? What did we not do so well that we can actually learn from and improve for future uh, handling of major incidents? So it's really looking in hindsight of your reviewing how you just went through and handled that major incident and identifying if you had any gaps in roles, any gaps in escalations, any gaps in even declaring the major incident. Um, you know, I've uh, worked in organizations where there's a reluctance to declare a major incident because it does um you know, require different people getting involved, different communications that have to be uh, put in place. You have different roles, maybe. So you have all of these areas that you really have to take a look at uh, because it is different. And I'm working with an organization now that when they declare a major incident, unfortunately, the management's behavior is not what it really should be. So now people are reluctant to even say we have a major incident. Uh, so what they're doing is they're now classifying we have a probable major incident <laughs> wow. to give them some time to work on it wow. uh, before they have to declare it and get all these other folks involved. Houston, we have a probable yeah. <laughs> probable problem. And yeah. I'm going to say if we didn't have Facebook, we we, we, could, we wouldn't be so probable yeah. because it's just like I'm sure that's just uh, we need more time, like you said. So that's that's major incident. To just to break it down, keep it real simple before we right. get into these differences. That sounds a lot like a problem that we would want to review. It, it very well is a criteria for many organizations that if you do have a major incident, that is the first criteria that it is a candidate to be logged as a problem and do root cause analysis on it. And in some organizations, it's not even a decision that they have to make. It is absolutely any major incident is going to be logged as a problem, and we're going to do root cause analysis on it. So let's go real slow. So we've got major incident kind of covered, and, and really good job, by the way. I shouldn't say that to you. You're Gary Case. Uh, <laughs> problem. Yes. So real simple, Gary Case definition. Okay, a problem, again, is going to be anything that is significant that has impacted the organization's ability to facilitate any kind of outcomes. Uh, it could be a single significant event that uh, is disrupting a service, disrupting the organization's customer uh, business units to you know, be able to produce something, or it could even be having an impact that could be creating a potential image or brand issue for the organization. So it could be a single significant event, or also where oftentimes organizations miss out on is they aren't doing their proper trending on just even regular incidents where they can say, wait a minute, we have had these recurring incidents. You know, it takes 20% of our time handling this same type of an incident. Why don't we, because it's multiple recurring uh, episodes, why don't we declare this as a problem so that we can identify a permanent solution that we can implement, therefore getting rid of these recurring incidents that cost us a lot of time at the service desk and other support levels. It costs productivity times at the customer level as well as even the productivity uh, within the IT organization, as I mentioned, within the various groups. But it's also the cost of any downtime that we may be experiencing 
you know, in the customer community. All right. That's probably the most exhaustive definitions that we've had in two years. So that's, thank you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Should yeah. I keep it shorter? No, no, you won. You won the award. I mean, those were really good. He, he is an idle author, you know. It, I, it, I, that's it's what I'm saying. I'm like, I, I gotta, like, I don't want to, but it's Gary Case. You can't interrupt him either. So I was like, you're kind of like, you know. You know what? The reality is, Chris, though, is like eight out of 10, 80% of the organizations who declare they're doing problem management aren't even close to what he just described. Yeah. It, they they it, blend it, it all together. And what's great is if you, if you've listened to the first seven minutes of practitioner radio, you practically could pass the test at this point. Um, <laughs> so I love that because I love the way you went, uh, you know, one major or collection because that's the way I was taught. I was always taught one collection. Uh, you look yeah. for stuff and that's when you make it a problem. This whole concept of major and then the idea of brand, you know, impact. I've never even heard anyone talk about that, but that's just, you know, my head's not where it used to be, but that's all another story. Help me get my head around now the role of this major incident and how it kind of juxtapositions against problem. Cause you've kind of made me think so far in the conversation, right? Uh, it's it's a natural evolution from incident to major incident to problem to uh, anal- analyzing this, which comes from multiple different things. Uh, or you haven't set up, but I'm thinking maybe it could just go right to major incident. Could you have lots of little incidents that become a major incident, like lots of incidents become a problem? I mean, I'm really lost. This is going back with what Troy said. People oftentimes are not using incident management, major incident management, and problem management correctly because you don't, to me, when you're going to define a problem, it should be a conscious decision mm. based on criteria that you have put in place. And like I mentioned earlier, one of the key criteria that you may have up front is a major incident is going to be a problem that has to be opened up and then managed through root cause analysis, etc. A number of recurring incidents is not a major incident uh, necessarily at all because, again, you have to have criteria of what's a major incident And that is going to be when you really go out and you have something that's a huge impact to your business community. And like you said, most people don't even get that far. No. So I guess the minutia of how many incidents make a major incident versus how many incidents make a major, make make a problem is probably not even worth going down that rabbit hole. But Troy, you know, Troy, you've worked with me for years now. You know why my head's all confused now. Well, let me give you some non-IT examples. Okay. All right. So consider that a major incident is kind of like this crime against a business productivity you never want to get live through again. Right. Like reply to all. <laughs> right. It It's it's so devastating, so reply to uh, all. embarrassing. No one wants to have this happen. Happen again, so they put all the geeks in a room and they take victim impact statements. <laughs> what happened here? Why did it happen? Who's at fault? And all the unfortunately, the pointing of fingers starts right. But then you've got to do some investigation because you probably can't figure out all of the elements of what led to what. And you know, your 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 sleuth investigator has to start tracking the trails down. Well, you got to go off site and do your your. RCA as a second step, but you got to know what happened. That's the interview the investigators doing the victim impact statement. What happens is most organizations try to do all at once in one meeting, right? They want to do all of that and try to figure it all out by the you know don't let the geeks out of the room until they've got through the entire thing and they promise never to do it again. It almost sounds like punishment, not not a process. But well, that's what it usually is, though. Okay, that's okay. So you said, and, that, and that's what Gary was saying. No one wants to actually declare a major incident because let the whipping begin. Yep. So what I often see, Chris, is you know, to me, problem management should be the simplest process to implement. And I'm sincere when I say that. 
it's not rocket science. It should be fairly easy, but organizations, for whatever reason, are reluctant to say, I'm going to declare a problem. And I personally believe part of that also has to do with going way back. Remember when we went to school and if we messed up, we got sent to the principal's office. Well, in IT, if we have a problem, we get sent maybe to the CIO's office and why did this happen, et cetera. But with problem management, what you want to have are problems. But if the culture in an organization is such that we don't like problems, then people are going to be reluctant even to say, let's have a problem that we want to manage and do the root cause analysis on. So I think culturally we have to somehow be able to overcome that because problems are good because that gives us the ability to actually deliver higher value, improve availability, reduce the cost of our services, and improve customer satisfaction and loyalty. It's a very value-added process. Yeah, but that takes leadership and personal mm-hmm. accountability, which, you know, Chris, we've talked about as big issues. I know. Every time I hear the word culture now, I just keep my mouth shut. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. We've talked about that. Yeah, pay no attention to the man behind the curtains. Yeah. There's <laughs> no, the these are not the problems you're looking no. for. And you yeah. don't have the culture to handle the truth. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you're, you know, uh, when you start also looking at, uh, you know, problem management and, you know, as Troy said the investigation is really about the root cause analysis and uh, I've had organizations that will declare a problem simply so that they can because there's usually a longer time element involved in doing problem management as far as uh, delivering something versus incident so I've seen organizations actually close an incident and open up a problem because that gives them more time to work on something (laughs) before it shows up red and the service still hasn't been restored so again the two processes work very, very, very well together, but people have to clearly understand what is the goals and objectives and purpose of both of the processes and what is the end result that we're looking for. Incident, restore service, problem, root cause analysis, and permanent solution we can put in place. Mm. Well, actually, remember, Chris, we did a show on problem and availability management, right? Mm-hmm. The symbiotic nature of those two processes, the conjoined twins. But that was not the, the show where we talked about your blog on the dance, is it? No, no, the dance no this was the show. conjoined twins. The reality is yeah, I remember, yeah. most people couple incident and problem together as likely uh, you know, partners in crime. Well, when, yeah, and when you're taught, I mean, when you're in like a foundations class, I mean, that's really the easiest way. I don't know. Every instructor I've ever I've seen have been in a million foundation classes. They always, that, that seems like the, the route to go. Couple them together so you can get it. But, you know, the problem is more around, as Jerry just pointed out, improving overall stability and service availability over time. Yeah, problem seems more to be a continual service improvement process than incident. Are there concepts of processes that align directly to CSI, or is CSI supposed to run through it all? Well, problem management and ooh, CSI are... Well, I jumped on that one, didn't I? You just opened up that uh, Pandora's <laughs> box. No, no. no. I felt it's it just... as it fell from my mouth. I was like, what? <laughs> just like availability management, you know, continual service improvement is a practice that you put in place, and they have a process called the seven-step improvement uh, process. And step five of the seven-step improvement process is about analysis. And that is really where problem management can jump in because, again, we talk about problem management's responsible for doing root cause analysis. And that's exactly how they can benefit, you know, continual service improvement is providing their skills and experience and subject matter expertise in going through and looking at, uh, you know, defining what that root cause is. Because in problem management, you know, from a CSI perspective, we can see that 
problem management can identify that technology could be a root cause, a process could be a root cause, or it could be people as a root cause. And I'm not saying that, you know, snidely or anything, but, you know, if people aren't following a process, you know, then that's coaching and training opportunities that we have out there. So to me, there's a very close relationship between problem management and uh, uh, CSI, just like there's a very close relationship between problem management and availability management. Mm, so I was on to something. See, this is, people don't understand, I learn on practitioner radio. You do very well. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, I've got two years of Troy Dumoulin. I mean, you can't help but <laughs> continue to improve. You, you know, you just said something. Uh, you said, I don't want to be snarky or snide. I can't remember which word you used. Uh, and you said, you know, people who don't follow a process. And a question to you both. Me, you know, I'd love to have Rob England on the show. He's, you know, he's a huge fan of the show, Troy. I didn't know if you knew that, but it'd be great to try to have him on. Yeah, it would be good, actually. I'm speaking, actually, you know, I'm speaking to him tomorrow. I'm going to ask him. See if you can get him on. He'd be amazing. He, I've read, and I did a review for this, this, book he wrote called Standard and Case. And this is kind of this this methodology that, and I'm going to blow it apart, and if he listens to the show, and he apparently listens to everyone, he's going to write a blog about me. But I'm just going to say how I felt. I loved it because it feels like, all right, so there you follow a process for very routine, yes, this is a check, almost like a checklist manifesto, this is the incident, dit, 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 dit. or it falls into case, which is literally this kind of CSI forensic investigation and it, 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 those are the two routes that things come into the organization. Totally, yeah. I've read the book as well, and Gary and I have spoken about it offline. The reality is, and the point he makes, is that problem management is not so linear like incident, right? It's, it, mm. We've got to do some deeper digging. And that's back to that crime analogy I had, right? The crime against business yeah. productivity. Investigator gets, you know, in, interviews all of the people at the scene of the crime and uh, takes the victim impact statements. And then he has to start, she has to start digging into the into the alleyways and into the gutters and whatever you know that lead takes them and kind of wind back and forth anyway. Yeah, and that's a case management example. That's why problem management and case management work so well. I bring this up because Gary, you know, you and I have had a chance to chat in restaurants in different cities and see each other at the show. And mm-hmm. with your breadth of experience of actually working with clients day in and day out and mentoring other consultants and writing books. I just, I'd be remiss in not asking you a question that, you know, some people would think but never ask, right? And that's, are there people in organizations who are just natural problem solvers and, and, you know, investigators who literally, they don't even have to have any tactical skill. They just have a way of thinking. Is this a skill? Yeah, they have a way of thinking because there's different thinking styles that are engaged. By the way, we did learning styles once, Troy. Okay, perfect. (laughs) So you have different styles that are out there. You have also you have to be able to gather information and, you know, people have better abilities to gather information from customers and peers and functional groups within IT, et cetera. And so their ability and skills to do that gets them more information than what others. They've got to have the ability to organize their thinking and also expand their thinking because that's one of the key points is so many people in problem management often will bring their own barriers. You know, they have what I call, you know, keyword syndrome where they lock on, lock out. They hear something, oh, I know what that is already. So they quit listening, they quit digging, they quit investigating, 
you know, they all bring assumptions to the table. So they, you know, don't check their and validate those assumptions. And, you know, so you have and also different methods and techniques for doing root cause analysis and, you know, gathering information from, you know, we talk about brainstorming, affinity mapping. We talk about the five whys. We talk about Ishikawa diagram, Kepner Tragel. And it's the ability for people to be able to expand their thinking, organize their thinking, ask the right questions, and then step back and look and do some analysis from a different perspective. And oftentimes, it problem management has to become a whole brained activity. And in most cases, people have been taught how to use the left brain, but not necessarily the right brain. And it's the people that are whole brained that actually have the ability to step in and do things. And it's just more natural for them to look at this. It's not that people can't learn how to use both sides of the brain and learn the techniques and methods for root cause analysis. They can do that, but in some cases it's a struggle. So yeah, I short answer after a long one is I believe some people are just more attuned to be able to step in and do investigation, diagnosis, and root cause analysis. And some are half brain apparently. Well, no, I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it, it was funny because I thought that's, that's really, I mean, that's really a fantastic tweet. Problem management is a whole brain process because I'd never really thought about it that way. And, and, and Troy, to your point, I, I don't, I, I understand. Yeah. That means some things are not half brained. But I think using your intellect and your emotion together is kind of maybe what he's saying. I don't know. Well, back to that analogy I keep pulling through. The investigative detective, right? Totally different skill. They have to wear different clothes. They get to be plain clothes and go undercover sometimes. Uh, yeah, I'm Troy, I think you want to be a detective. I think that's what this show is showing us. CSI Miami. Yeah, CSI Troy. <laughs> yeah, as a detective, like Troy said, is also going through and asking the right questions. And that's oftentimes because of our, you know, assumptions, our keywords, our barriers. Let me just put it that way. We often don't ask the right questions and therefore don't get the right answers. And I would say the, you know, uh, as a part of the investigation, the other thing that I find oftentimes in organizations, and, you know, this is always a struggle, is people aren't willing to share information because it's going to... I guess, kind of create some visibility where they don't want visibility to be. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's going to be harder to maintain that type of, I would think, mentality moving forward in a world where some of these analytics are going to kind of be proactively presented to people. Like, hey, you know, I, I was recording another show for another something, and someone said to me, I love the way that Netflix handles their customer service and problem management. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, have you ever been watching a Netflix movie or after a Netflix movie, you proactively get an email that says that movie experience probably wasn't the best for you. We're going to credit you part of your fee for watching. And I thought, yeah, I have. And, you know, it's kind of that combination of end user monitoring, customer service, outside in thinking combined with just proactive. Hey, we know this was a problem. We're crediting you before you even have a chance to say anything. And we're on it. I mean, is that unusual? I mean, that is, I don't know, is that unusual? Well, sounds like they're doing this very proactively on what you described. And yeah. I think many organizations are don't take that proactive approach and they don't reach out to the customers. Back, going back to just some of the base reasons organizations are trying to resist or individuals resist, you know, improving and standardizing work practice and processes. When you standardize things and you become more visible and it becomes, you know, there's data we can actually look at. People don't like having the flashlight shone around. 
mm. people, rather the uh, the current state of anonymity. You know, Gary, I don't want to let you go before the end of the show, and thank you for this amazing information. But, you know, we keep going back to, I mean, there's been, there's been a few recurring themes with you and Troy today, and they're not themes, but you mentioned them a few times, or at least I picked up on them, pattern matching. Uh, that people don't like the flashlight, the you know, investigation. Where do you see, or how do you see corporate culture in your experience evolving over the next five, ten years, either with technology or without technology, either or maybe a spiritual event. I mean, so that people don't mind the light. Because the one thing that doesn't seem to be going away is the light, and it actually seems to be getting brighter. That's a great question, boy. I wish I had that answer that I could just throw out there all the time. But Dude, you know, I, I probably only feel safe asking you enjoy this. <laughs> I, I think number one is that people have to understand why we want to have that light being shined and we want to we have to learn to start managing by using data as opposed to a gut feel mm, a quantified life yeah we have to have the correct data so that means we have to have you know people appropriately uh, inputting what we have because if we don't have the correct data, then that's not going to allow us to make the best strategic, tactical, or operational decision. So first off, I think people have to understand the why is this important. And I think that's an ongoing, you know, communication. It's awareness. It's it's inspecting that's there. And then there has to be a governance level associated with it also. And that's, again, kind of inspecting is the way I like to look at it is, are we actually doing this and are we allowing ourselves to make the right decisions that are out there? And are we making the right decisions? And again, this should be on behalf of how do we continue to improve to ensure we can meet, you know, not only the current but future business requirements that are there. So I see twofold that there has to be the governance that's there, but there has to be the ongoing communication and getting the buy-in so people understand why we want to have this information and this data and the appropriate means of being able to capture the data. So, I mean, to me, it's a governance uh, right up there with changing the behavior of people, but they need to know why, because that's very important to them. Here's my take. For the last several decades, we've made a living with the words, trust me, right, in IT. We really haven't opened the kimono a lot and given a lot of detail, and probably for a good reason. But the reality is we haven't been required to provide transparency. Now, because of dependency and risk and cost, IT is being held to another level of accountability that they haven't been in the past. On practice, on finances, on performance, on project alignment and delivery of results that matter, all of the above, right? So the reality is we've avoided this accountability, but we're being held to account now more and more. And this is where... These practices we talk about are now finally coming to some importance in most organizations because there is no alternative. The, the light bulb has been turned on, the door has been opened to the basement, the kimono flown open, and uh, it's not pretty, and we've got to do something different. Troy, you never, ever cease to amaze me. Uh, okay, I don't know how we can top an answer like that, but we're going to try real quick. Gary, to kind of finish the show up, Organizations, let's just say they're going to fall into two camps in the show. Very mature, and they've got the the difference between their major incident and their and their and their problem really well defined. And, and organizations that are haven't even considered that there's a difference. Give me one or two things that a very mature organization can do to make sure, yep, we're on the right track. And one or two things that a very immature organization can do to go, ooh, we should be thinking about this more. 
So I think for the mature organizations that they are very clearly, they've already started logging incidents separately from problems. And the real key around problem management and root cause analysis is that the mature organizations are ensuring that people are actually allocated the appropriate amount of time to do the problem management activities, i.e. especially the root cause analysis, that they don't get sucked in to the firefighting mechanism that oftentimes happens. Mm -hmm. The immature incident uh, organizations, I should say, the immature organizations should really step back and start really defining within their own world what is the difference between an incident and a problem. And they can even start doing some problem management activities without having any process that's there. They can do some trend reports on their top five incidents or top 10 incidents, and they can pick one of those as an example, and they can go on ahead and identify one to work on, identify uh, one or two or three resources, whatever it takes to do some root cause analysis, and really execute the problem management process, the permanent solution, the implementation of the permanent solution, and use this as kind of a proof of concept to say that it really can work. The challenge that people have with the trending, Chris, is that if they're immature, chances are their incident data may be a little suspect, so they may have to do some digging to try to find out you know, those recurring incidents, what are the common symptoms that's showing up? Because I've seen organizations when they pull their top five incident report, the third, uh, you know, largest incident uh, is called other or miscellaneous. So that really doesn't give us much. Yeah, we had a really good, we had a couple good shows over the last couple of years on, on categorization. Troy, thank you for, for rounding uh, Gary up after all this time. Well, it's, it's been way overdue. Glad to have you, Gary. Glad to be here. Troy? Do you want to do the weather report for me? Oh, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> no one does it like you, so I'm going to leave it back to you. Oh, oh gosh. I, the one thing people ask me is like, do the, do the Thunderbolt thing. And I go, no, no, okay, I'll do it for you. But every now and then I get someone go, why doesn't Troy ever do it? So I'm going to get you to do it one, one at least before Pink 14. Gary? Yes, sir. It's time for Gary's Thunderbolt. <laughs> The real message I have is that whenever you're doing major incident review and you're doing your root cause analysis, it really should never be about pointing fingers or placing blame. Once you start doing that, that's going to kill any kind of effective process that you want to put in place because people are going to be reluctant. It should really be focused on how do we improve and how do we deliver better value back out to our customers. Brilliant. Gary Case, uh, author, speaker, luminary, thank you so much for being on. I'm such a fan. Uh, Troy, thanks for another great show. We'll see everybody in two weeks. Take care. Thank you. Take care now.